Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief here at Modern Retail. And this week, I'm joined with Heine Zachariasen, the founder and CEO of Vivino. Among many other things, people call it a sommelier app, a wine e-commerce app. We'll go into all those different things. I've actually used Vivino for many years, and so I'm really excited to talk with you sort of about the evolution of your program and... Um, just wine e-commerce in general, because that's a topic I find super fascinating. But hi, Heine. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So first, for those who don't know, do you want to just give sort of a rough sketch of what is Vivino and how did it all start? For sure. And it all started in retail, really, because my frustration with wine was that I walk into a store and I see this wall of wine and I just don't know what to buy. And when we started about 10 years ago, we sort of got the idea, what if you could take your smartphone, take a picture of any wine label in the world, and we'll tell you if it's good or not so good, whatever that is. So that's still the core of our offering, you know, help people buy the right wine. Got it. How has has the app changed over the years? Yes, it certainly has. I think, you know, this is a really, there was a reason why nobody had done this before, because <laughs> because the, it's really tricky to do. There are so many wines out there. So we have over... 10 million different wines on the platform. And we have over 1.5 billion pictures taken of, of wine labels. So uh, so it has changed a lot over the years because we just didn't have the data in the old days. And now we have just very rich data on every single wine from you know prices, ratings, taste, anything you really want to know about the wine. So when you were first starting it 10 years ago, was the idea that you would be selling wine through it or simply that people would be more informed about the bottles they were purchasing? No, we always had the idea that we're going to sell wine through the app as a marketplace at some point. I think Mm -hmm. it just, it made a lot of sense. Although the service, in many cases, you would be in a retail environment, you know, we would learn about the user and we knew that at some point e-commerce was going to get bigger and bigger. So so we always had that sort of basic idea. Was there always the ability to buy wine in there? Or did, and when, when did that sort of get into the equation? No, that came that actually came later. So uh, not till 2016, we really started pushing for that and started building that. It's, it's uh, again, that's also a bit of a complex uh, thing to do because, again, there's so many different wines, so many suppliers and so on. Mm-hmm. So I'd say in 16, we started. And by 18, we started sort of getting a product market fit. And now I think like 2020 has been really a breakthrough for us. Yeah, I, I want to get into all that because I think 2020 has been a pretty crazy year for you guys, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. That but, is correct. Um, I, one thing I'm, I'm just interested to know, specifically with wine, it's, you know, every a lot of people drink wine, not everybody, but many people drink wine. But it also is a very, can often be sort of an insular crowd, specifically the people who are looking at it, talking about it, and, you know, rating their wine. So how did you get how did you find people to initially use the app? Sort of what was the process of figuring out people to sort of initially take those pictures so that you could get that data? Yeah, I think you're also pointing at something that's important here is that who do you build this app for? Mm-hmm. And and my co-founder and I were both like non-wine people. Like we were wine drinkers and wine lovers, but we didn't know a lot about wine. And I think this, you know, there was there was a lot of, there were a lot of wine apps out there when we started, uh, but we went for a specific crowd, which is the big bulk of the crowd is people that love wine but don't know much about it. So I think when it comes to getting the ball rolling, I think that was a core, like speaking to people at the level they're at and not like, you know, trying to be smart about it, but really communicating in a way that people understand. 
How do you build an interface that sort of has that dual sense? So it's talking to people who are talking about wine, but letting it be very approachable so anyone can can do it. I feel like there are a lot of different words with wine. Sometimes it seems, it seems inaccessible. So do, how did you approach that build? Yeah, it's about many things. It's also about um, knowing what you think people want to do with this app. So we, I think, knew quickly that the people that want to use our app wanted information quickly. So scan the bottle, get the rating, all that quickly. And, and an example of that is also, so what kind of rating would you use? Would you do a 100-point scale, which is what's been used in the industry for many years? We decided not to do that, right? We do a five-star rating, which is more used today on other platforms. So all these small decisions really, really matter when it comes to reaching the right audience. Here's something that I've noticed when using the app, and so maybe I'm wrong, but um, and so let me know if I'm wrong, but I think that specifically for some of the wines, the reviews are self-selective in terms of that, like you see a kind of wine and the people who are reviewing it like that kind of wine, so it's difficult to know whether or not it's good or like different things like that. So is there a way that you try to approach sort of the the frames of reference by which people are rating their wines, given that, you know, some people like heavier wines other people like lighter yeah. wines and they'll they'll be rating it on on that scale for themselves you know i think i think that is an important part i think if you want to look if the wine is sort of good or maybe not so good you should start with the rating mm-hmm. uh, and and that's always going to vary we have a really good distribution of the rating you know some of them have a lower rating some of them have a really high rating and so on so start there uh, but you are right a lot of reviews will be somewhat positive and more of a description of the wine and so on so so there is a point there so talk to me about the evolution of commerce. You said that this started in 2016. How have you approached that aspect of, of the app? And what were you, before, was there a business model with it? Or was it just trying to get critical mass of people using it? Yeah, I, I think we, we we saw early on, hey, this is a land grab. We want to win this thing. We want to be the biggest uh, in wine, the biggest wine app in this space. So so I think, I think that being able to do that with the right funding and so on was in, incredibly important. When it comes to... Um, to the commerce part, I, that was a long and complicated process because just figuring out what the wines are that this retailer actually has is, is complex, right? Nobody uses the same names and so on. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the core thing with our offering is really just the quality of it, that it's gone from having, you know, it's really just trying to find the right wines and so on. We now have a lot more wine on the platform. The other thing is operations are also important. We work with almost 800 partners around the world. And we need all of them to do things at the right time with the right wine. Everything has to be right, right? Like Amazon sets the bar for e-commerce in the US. And that's even if they don't sell a lot of wine, that's what we're being compared to. So it has to be really, really good. And over the last few years, we've really become good at that. So walk me through how, how you get good at that, because wine is such an intricate business. There are wine retailers, there are importers. You say you have over 800 partners. So how have you sort of standardized this process? Who specifically are you working with so that they can upload their portfolios of wines? Do you work with importers or is it more you know retail stores, et cetera? Yeah, most of them are retail stores that have a certain presence online already. So we like to work, we, we can work with everybody and we do work with everybody. The ones that are really successful already have some kind of e-commerce presence and are really good at e-commerce. And then when they see what kind of volume we can give them, they, they can accelerate and say, oh, wow, this is a good platform. If we do even better, we'll sell, sell even more wine. So so you, we find a, we found some suppliers that are really, really good at that. 
are you thinking about ever building out the app to to make it so that you can either have like a quasi ad component or something so that you can give certain retailers more real estate on the app than others, that kind of thing? Or is it all just going to be completely review based, you know, sort of Shazam like picture based? Yeah, our, our objective is always going to be to make sure whoever uses the app gets the best wine for them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we don't have an ad model for that reason, right? Everything else equal, then at some point you're going to push them a wine that might not be the best wine for them. And we firmly believe that if we keep, you know, if they keep coming, if they keep buying the wine that they think is the best one, they will keep coming back. So it's always going to be the right strategy for us. We've, we've started doing something else recently, uh, which, which is more targeted wineries. Uh, we call it sponsorships. And it means that, that the wine page itself, you know, get pimped up a little bit. They get video on there and so on. And that works really well. And the producers love that. How did you go about sort of making that and work? And how do you like, I imagine that a lot of winemakers aren't very, you know, don't do a lot of that kind of digital sponsorship before. So walk me through sort of how you've evolved that, that entire offering. Yeah, so so it started out with actually me talking to one of the big producers a few years ago and realizing that they actually had a lot of money to spend and I had nothing to sell them. <laughs> so we wanted to see if there was something that could give them an advantage. And we ended up with this offering where where their presence is increased when people come across them, but also a data package on top of that, right? So the other part of the product is really telling them where do people drink your wine? What's the latest feedback on it? All those things, building them are really, we have like a dashboard for them that they just love these days. So so it's been going really well lately. Do winemakers like receive, I imagine that winemakers, um, maybe I'm completely wrong, but like I imagine they think of themselves as, you know, the authority on what their wine is and what it represents. And so sort of a more democratized feedback of data of customer would be probably good, but maybe not difficult for them to receive, but a, a new a new kind of reception that they haven't gotten before. Are you saying they're in denial in some way, or what are you saying? No, I'm just saying that like I can imagine them saying, you know, I know what, why my wine is good. If someone says it's bad, they're wrong. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think they're very open. I think I think one of the challenges here is that um, they just don't know. Sometimes, right? They will mm-hmm. sell pallets and pallets to a distributor, and there's no feedback loop. And and my, they might say, no, I think this tastes like strawberry. And but they say, no, no, it's something else. And then you know, perception can be reality for that. So uh, so no, it's it can be really sort of an awakening for some of them. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the last year because uh, I mean, e-commerce skyrocketed ac- across the board. So what specifically? Let's turn back the clock a year to last March. What happened with Vino specifically as soon as coronavirus really hit? Yeah. So it was it was interesting. First of all, we were. A little bit concerned, right? So we we were we're in seventeen markets, seventeen countries around the world, and one of them is Hong Kong. So the first one we saw is like, okay, we're now in lockdown in Hong Kong. What's happening? So I started actually pushing the brakes and saying, no, no, calm down, less marketing, stop hiring, stop everything. We do not know what this is, and so we look, we did that for a few weeks, and then Hong Kong starts coming back and saying, yeah, we we did actually stop shipping for a few days, but demand was so big that we started again. And then the sales just started going up. So it started around March 20th. 
And when we got to April, it just went crazy. So April to April was like three times up uh, compared to the year before. Obviously, it gave us a lot of problems in supply because a lot of these warehouses, they couldn't get to the warehouse. Maybe there were usually 10 people, and now there could only be five people, and actually there was demand for 20 people. So a lot of complexity, but you know, people were pretty understanding. And, and um, after a couple of months, we really got that going. And, and the interesting thing here is that demand has stayed there like even if europe opened up and so on so so i think we actually saw a shift there we we saw a jump up to e-commerce and and it looks like it's staying there i'm interested in that because i i feel like probably people were stuck at home march april may and they wanted wine and they felt uncomfortable going to their wine store and so they they bought it and so do you think that what are you seeing in terms of stickiness is it like most people some people like what behaviors have kind of stuck around now that we're yeah. a year out? No, this is a very important question because the first thing we thought that was like, this is going to be like toilet paper, right? Yeah. So they're just going to buy a lot of stuff and that's it. And honestly, that was the case for a month or so. It jumped up extraordinary and then it landed at a totally new level. Um, so when we look at two things, we look at, okay, how many new buyers are coming in? That's just double. Every single day, it's double the amount that it was before. That's the one. The other thing is retention, like how many keep buying. And that has not changed, right? So you have more buyers coming in and retention is roughly the same. Uh, so obviously, you know, you could say I'm a little bit biased, but I think the best way to buy wine is online. Um, and a lot of people are seeing that. And, and, you know, to change people's habits is hard. But if you can push them over by whatever means that is, they stay there. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So what is the process by which, because I, I feel like the way that I've used Vivino, and maybe I'm in the minorities, as you said, you're at a wine store and you pick it up and you say, what is this label? And you take a picture and then you read all the reviews and you say, oh, I, I like that. I'll yeah. get that. Or I won't like that. I won't get that. But when it's all being done at home, you sort of lose both that visual component and also like having that expert at the wine store who can sort of lead you through and say, you might like sure. this. So is that like, how are you approaching that from, from the digital aspect? Yeah, so so I think that's really important, right? Because we really want people to open the app and say, I want to buy a wine. And if you open the first tab in the app, that's what that is. It's first and foremost recommendations based on when you were at the wine store or where we're somewhere and drank a wine and said, you know, we know Kay likes this type of wine. So we're really learning a lot about that and then doing giving you a totally personalized feed of the wines that we think you'll like. So so that's the one aspect, you know, recommendations and so on. The other thing which I'm I'm really happy with is the, is the second tab of the app, which is like a search, but it's it's not a you can do text search too, but it's more like an airline browse thing. So you say, you know what, I want a red one, I want to pay 20 bucks, and it has to be from Portugal. We will find you the best wine from Portugal under 20 bucks every time. So those sort of very day-driven things are just really, really good way to buy the best wine or whatever price point or style you have. Have you seen people over the last year glomming more onto any of those certain uh, like tabs than before? Like are more people going to that second tab and saying like, I want this? Or what, what are you sort of noticing in terms of app behavior? Yeah, it's really about the intent, right? So uh, first of all, also, we saw a little bit of a dip in installs because the 70-80% of our installs come from people sitting and dining together, and they don't do that anymore, right? That also came back quickly. So, we're okay, this is, uh, this is fine. I think the biggest change is really intent, saying, okay, I'm now opening Vivino to buy a wine. And that's a big change for us because they will are much likely to, to convert into a buyer. 
Got it. And so talk to me a little about customer acquisition. So if you if you saw a little bit of a dip and that makes, you know, kind of sense, people are alone. What how what channels do you approach? How have you been sort of getting more people to even know, know that you exist? Yeah, and, and we're, we're a little bit unique in that because we just don't do a lot of marketing. Yeah. So if we take our sales last year, we spent 1.5% on marketing. So wow. we don't spend it's so what we were doing during the year, uh, you know, the users kept coming in still a small dip, and then they came back. But then we're obviously also fishing in our own pond, right? So we have 50 million users that have installed the app throughout the world. So we're really going for those users saying, okay, it's still only a very, very small part of, of those users that have ever bought through the app. So we're really fishing for them. So uh, so not a lot of marketing at this point. That is going to change this year as we've, we've raised a whole bunch of money. Walk me through that. So what made you decide you needed to raise, was it $150 million? Is that correct? Yeah, 155 yeah. Um, and so what... What was the idea behind that huge raise? What is it going towards? Is it all for marketing or sort of what's the play? Yeah, I think so. So we're, we're, uh, we're 200 people at the company now and, and we have 50 million users. We're honestly a little bit understaffed all around when it comes to, to product engineering. So we still have a relatively small team. Also break even two out of four quarters last year, right? Congrats. So, so, so thank you. That's, that's a big deal too. We really wanted to upgrade you know, the, the product offering to everyone and say, no, no, let's really upgrade the team to build like a much more amazing uh, product here, right? So, so that's happening. The other thing that's happening is that we're in 17 markets and we don't have a lot of people in each market. So we really want to double down locally, wherever you are in France or Italy or Netherlands or, or the US for that matter. So that's also something that takes a lot of resources. And then the third one, obviously, do more marketing, create more awareness of, of the product. So you have 200 employees and uh, what, like, are most of them working on the tech? What, like, what is the sort of break breakdown of what they, of what they do? Cause you know, yeah. Yeah. Around half of them are uh, in product engineering. So around okay. half of them are actually building the product in some way. Um, and is that split going to change? So probably not right now. Like 50% doing that is probably likely, but obviously then there is a lot of people working in the commercial part you know, sourcing, making sure operations work, all those things. Some of that, you know, takes a lot of manpower. Got it. And so what do you, if you haven't spent that much in marketing and now you're planning on doing a little bit more splashy stuff, how, how are you thinking about approaching that? Are you going to be doing, you know, with cities opening up, hopefully by summer things will be a little bit better. Are you going to do, you know, work work with wineries or work with different big retailers? Sort of how are you seeing the overall play? Yeah, good question. And honestly, I don't. We don't have the all the answers to that yet. Obviously, we're going to use the traditional digital channels as everyone else, like Google, Facebook, Instagram, and so on. But I think we're going to go out and move out to maybe television and so on too, to really see if that could work too. And uh, we might start with that in the U.S. Uh, but when it comes to sort of penetration of wine in some markets in Europe, obviously wine is is much more common than than in the U.S. But uh, but yeah, we're going to try a few a few ways to to do our marketing and experiment a little bit. Could you actually walk me through that? Because uh, when I actually began using Vivino, I was living in France at the time, and it was sort of helpful because I didn't speak very good French, and I would see bo- bottles of wine, and I would take a picture. But I feel like the French consumer has a much different knowledge and interest in wine than the U.S. consumer, um, which I'm, I'm sure you've experienced in all the different geographies you're available in. So how do you? It's all do, different, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so how do you go about that? Like, what 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 is the overall approach? Given that what people say about a wine is different and they have a different foreknowledge and they have different wants and needs, et cetera. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so first of all, like everything is local, meaning uh, usually language, I think most of them, we have like 25 languages in the app right now. And the reviews that are local are going to be pushed up and everything that's available locally will also get pushed up. So if you go to France now, open the app and, and, and say you're now in France, you'll actually see a little bit of a different app. Like there will be much more French wines. Um, and so everything changes in, in that way. So it is, it's a very different product from, from country to country. Do you ha- have anyone who sort of deals with the sort of curation of it to make it so, to make like beyond just having, you know, the product development, the tech talent, but people who are wine experts who help you inform, you know, what you should put here and different things like that? Yes, we do. So so when we started out, we didn't have anyone like that and yeah. we didn't know much about wine. But <laughs> now we have actually based in Copenhagen, we have a people a team of like, I think we're seven people there, so which really know like, hey, this is not categories right. It should be in this category, and this region should really be named this. So, so everything sort of floats up. All the feedback that we have floats up to these experts, and then they sort of make a decision on what's right or wrong. Uh, we don't want to tell people uh, what to drink and what's good and what's bad. That's up to the community to figure out, really. But we want to make sure as much as our data is correct as possible. And so as you saw more people feeling more comfortable to buy your wine in the app, did you tweak the actual experience? Were there things that you that you found that didn't work that you needed to sort of highlight higher or sort of how did you make it so that it felt like more like a seamless commerce experience, given that you had so many more people using your app? Yeah, I, yes, definitely. I think and this has been, you know, when you when you're in, in the middle of doing something like this, it's just evolution. So so. When I look at this like four years ago, it looked totally different. And I don't mm-hmm. think about it, but it but it changes all the time. And a lot of it's about, you know, managing expectations. For instance, during COVID, uh, we sort of estimate how long it's going to take till you have your wine. And, and then suddenly, oh my God, we have to add a day or two to this because of supply problems and so on. So yes, so the, the experience is very different to what it was of, um you know, three, four years ago, but it's, yeah, you know, you have Apple pay and Google pay. It's incredibly seamless. If you haven't tried it yet, it's just, it's very cool that you can, you can buy a wine like in a few seconds, really. So do you think that all wine is going to be bought online? Like, so how do you see the acceleration in terms of the wine specific industry? Cause I feel like liquor has always been sort of behind the times. I know that wine isn't liquor, but like, I feel like general adult beverages have been more difficult to buy online for a variety of reasons, most of which just because there are so many different like retail operations that you yeah. have to sort of work with. So how do you see that evolving now? Do you think things will become simpler or just because the demand is there, the programs like yours will will rise to prominence? Yeah, I think I, I think we're at a some kind of tipping point right now. I mean, so, so why do people buy in brick and mortar and why do people buy online? And my philosophy around that is, is really quite simple. When people buy at brick and mortar, it's because they think it's better to buy brick and mortar. It's, it's not more complicated than that. When you chose to go, then the whole package for you is better. But so why do people buy wine um, uh, in brick and mortar? Well, they felt it was more convenient, maybe it was faster and so on. But the change that's coming now is that when you buy through a platform like Vivino, we will have ratings, reviews, we will have infinite supply, we'll have the right prices delivered to your door. And for a lot of people now, that package is just better than brick and mortar, right? And it's not the same for everyone, but I, I compare it to like books 20 years ago, right? Why did we go into a bookstore 20 years ago? And why did we change to Amazon now? And it's it's that shift that's happening right now that you know, actually, it's better to it's easier for me to make that decision online than it has to go to a bookstore or a wine store. Do you do any work in sort of like the quote unquote 
influencer space, I imagine that like there are many people who are on Instagram who recommend wines all the time, and that would help sort of fill in those gaps that that people have with choosing the wine. Is that something that you guys do or you will be doing? Yeah, it's we've done a little bit of it, not as much as you would think. I mean, there is something with wine that if you compare it to like apparel or like fashion and so on, you really experience it on Instagram. And and the way to experience wine is actually drinking it. Yeah. So so it has been a little bit of challenge. We've really tried to do that, have not been super successful just yet. Have you ever thought of doing any campaigns, at least in the next year, that's that try to mimic the sort of tasting? Or do you have like any any work that you've done with importers to sort of give people a few flights so that they can you know know different types or is that or how, how do you sort of approach that that aspect no so so we, we've actually seen quite a few of the competitors do that i think successfully um and i i think we might look at that in the future because it's fun right i mean you could sit at home you do a flight at home and so on so i think there could be a market there for sure is that are the margins on that bad or sort of how do you, how would you view that if you were to approach that no, I think it'd be great. Like people buy uh, like five or six. Maybe it's probably easy to do with full bottles, which is, you know, could be a stretch if you need to open five bottles. Um, but maybe you do a smaller thing and maybe you, you know, maybe there's a full tasting on Zoom and then you have two bottles at home or something like that. That'd be easier to do. Absolutely. So we're getting almost close to out of time, but I want to just hear sort of, you mentioned some of the things that you're focusing on marketing wise in the future, but in terms of developments for the app, are what are, are there any new features that you feel like you need to, that now that you're going to be hiring so many more people that, that you'll finally be able to do? What are sort of the, the, the big pillars for the year to come in terms of product development? Yeah. No, the big thing really is that we, you know, we feel now we've built all this data about the wines and we also know a lot of our users and taking that to the next level is combining those two things. How do you take all the wine, all the, all the information about the wine and all the information about our users? And that's what comes under one umbrella we call personalization. It means that one thing is telling you if this wine if is is good or not so good, but we want to tell you if you're going to like it or not, just like Netflix does. So next time you open the app, you should look at, we now have a percentage on there that's matched for you. Mm-hmm. And and that is something that, you know, we're, we just released it, uh, but that's going to roll out everywhere inside the app. And we're super excited about that, I must say. So uh, you said the last two quarters you broke even. Do you, th- do you foresee the next year to be profitable or sort of what's the profitability plan? Yeah, no, the plan is definitely not to be profitable in the future, no. Um, I think <laughs> when you raise this this kind of money, I think it was really important to do two quarters in 2020 because it shows that the unit economics are good, that we have a real business here, right? And that's also what attracted the investors. Okay, wow, if this reaches scale, mm-hmm. there's money to be made. This is a real business. But now we're going to push to accelerate and really, really grow the business. All right. Heine, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. Um, I really appreciate you joining. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.